Eagles Entertainment. The journey of the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got a loaded episode today. Championship weekend is in the books. The college football regular season, believe it or not, is over. We have got plenty to hit on, but we're going to start the show off with one of my favorite segments in Scout Stories. Director of College Scouting for the Eagles, Anthony Patch, returns to the show to talk about Eagles left guard Isaac Sayamalo and what it was like evaluating him coming out of Oregon State back in 2016. What did the Eagles see in him, and what are some of the things that we can take away from his projection? We'll hit on that right at the top of the show in Scout Stories. After that, we transition to Saturday Scouting, where Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler, and I go through the official roster announcements for the Senior Bowl, the cementing of the college football playoff, and some of our biggest takeaways from Championship Weekend. After that, we'll transition to On the Clock, where Chris McPherson returns to break two of our hearts in a debate that all of college football is having right now. Who should win the Heisman Trophy? We will talk it all out in that segment. Then we will wrap things up with our draft mailbag where we have a very lengthy mock draft from one of our listeners at home. We'll break it all down to close things out. Before we get to the start of the show, just a quick reminder to jump onto our Apple Podcast page. Do us the great favor of leaving us a rating and a comment, whether it's a mock draft like the one that we're going to do today later in the show or a specific question about a prospect or just a comment about how much you enjoy the show. All of those things are a huge boost for us and make the show more likely to be seen by other draft fans. So appreciate everybody that has taken the time to come through for us over on our Apple podcast page or on Stitcher, really wherever you listen to your podcast. All right, let's get this show going. Let's jump back to 2016. It's time for Scout Stories. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. Well, joining us to talk about Eagles offensive lineman Isaac Sayamalo is Senior Director of College Scouting Anthony Patch. Patch, welcome back to the show, man. We're going to talk about uh, a guy from your neck of the woods up there. Uh, he came out of Oregon State in 2016. We're going to talk about Isaac Sayamalo. Uh, Patch, t- take us through your memories of evaluating Isaac coming out of uh, Oregon State and the Beavers program. Yeah, Isaac was, yeah, good player. Isaac, you know, he, he got some genes to him. His dad has been a lifelong um, uh, college D-line coach. You know, he was up at Oregon State there with Mike Riley for years and years. And, um, you know, Isaac's older brother uh, played there as well, and his sister was a volleyball player. And just, you know, even at Oregon State, you know, it's, you know what we look in O-linemen, it's just, you know, versatility. Even at Oregon State, like he does for us, he he played every position, started there every position. He played, you know, guard, tackle, and, you know, some center, not a lot of center. It just didn't look out of place. You know, Isaac was a, a great athlete, high FBI um, just everything looked easy with the kids, stunts, pickups, you know. Uh, probably not the most explosive knockback power you'd see in a guy, but just always in the right place and, you know, feet, uh, angles, hips, everything uh, were, you know, excellent. And so, you know, he was a junior coming out, so, that, you know, no all-star game, you know. So, you know, combine was the first time meeting him. And then, um, you know, he's an even-kill kid. Fran, you know, never hide too or too low and just um, real smart. Mm. And uh, that, that sold us even more. You can't take enough of these guys. And, you know, we got him in the third round that year. And then, you know, I think we bounced back in the fifth round. And, you know, it's just about to get Vitae that year. So we kind of, we got two good players that year. Um, we felt uh, put up front. You mentioned the lineage, you know, being the son of a coach. For our listeners at home, why why is that talked about? Why is that so important? Kind of a thing to have in a guy's background is you know just being you know being the son of a coach. I just think you know, probably growing up, it's most likely this kid. You know, he's in the football office all the time. You know, most coaches' kids are in the football office either after school. You know, in the summertime, they're always around the building, the practice field. So I think you know they know. They're more apt to be a, a what we call a pro and buying into the process no matter what, you know. And so I think, you know, just being around their dad, especially, you know, Joe, at, you know, his dad, Joe, being a lifelong coach around Oregon State and being up there with them, um, he got to see not only the school he was going to, but how it was, it, it was ran and the process it ran for years before he even, you know, 
stepped foot on Oregon State's campus, you know, being from there and uh, looking at what's happening. So I think that's the case for most, you know, uh, players that have coaches as dad, either the high school level or college level. It's just all that's all they know. Mm. So they're watching film with their dad. They're, you know, after the office watching practice. So it's we always make a point to note that in our in our write ups and our um, so forth. Yeah, it's uh, certainly a big part of Isaac's development and really, really appreciate you joining us once again here. Uh, Patch to talk about Isaac Sayamalo. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Stay safe, stay healthy. Thanks again. Awesome, Fran. Thank you. So great stuff there, as always, from Patch. And hope thanks so much for him uh, for joining us here on the show. Two big takeaways. Uh, number one, we talked about it, right? That's the son of a coach. Ironically, this is the same thing. One of the things that people said about Jalen Hurts when he was coming out of college was, yeah, you know, his his father coached him up all through high school. And, you know, and we talked about that with Patch. I think when you look at players that come from that kind of background, Football is life. The grind is normal. It's not going to be too big. It's not going to be too much. It's not going to be too taxing. At least it most likely won't be. Obviously, everybody's individual, and that's why uh, you know Patch said that it's going to be a little bit different with everybody. Um, you know, you can't. But it's more likely that those guys are just going to be more accustomed uh, to that lifestyle because I'll tell you what, playing in the NFL. Not easy. It's not. It's a, a very taxing process. It's a long grind of a season, a long grind of an off season. If you're not ready for it, it could be. There's definitely a little bit of a growth period there. Um, you know, and you may never reach uh, that point of it. So I thought that was a really good point there on Isaac, and notably as well, his brother also a coach uh, up there with the Beavers, or at least was when he was coming out of college back in 2016. Um, the other big thing with Isaac that I think is just so important, and we talk about that often here on the show. The versatility along the offensive line, yeah, and this was a guy that, as as Patch said, had played multiple multiple positions during his time with the Beavers. He played multiple positions as a rookie here uh, in Philadelphia, and he's while he's kind of cemented in at left guard right now, you know that he's got the potential to do a lot of things moving forward, namely moving inside uh, to center at some point down the road in his career. Um, but I think when you look at versatility along the offensive line. Look, the Eagles are a great example of it this year, right? I mean, in 14 games, they've had 13 different offensive line combinations. You're not able to do that if you don't have that versatility. You know, you've got Nate Herbig bouncing back and forth between different spots. Jordan Mailata playing both tackle spots. Lane Johnson, uh, you know, has that flexibility at, at right tackle, left tackle. Matt Pryor has played both tackle and guard. So, when you have that versatility, that is a huge feather in your cap as an offensive lineman coming from college to the NFL, and Isaac certainly uh, had that, and it helps just kind of project a floor for that player because at the very least, you know, hey, this guy can come in and he could be a swing backup for us, and that is a very valuable trait to have, again, as an NFL draft prospect, as an offensive lineman. So hope you guys enjoyed that conversation there with Anthony Patch about Isaac Sayamalo. Let's now transition to the rest of our show. It's time now for Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, guys, well, let's kick things off here on Saturday Scouting with some uh, news around college football. We'll start things off on Sunday. The college football playoff tree was announced. We're not going to do matchups or anything. We're just going to kind of give uh, some thoughts uh, on the final matchups here. Alabama, the number one seed against Notre Dame, the number four seed. Clemson, the number two against Ohio State, number three. We get the rematch there uh, with Clemson and Ohio State. Uh, ben, I'll go to your thoughts first. Uh, Alabama, Notre Dame, uh, just surface-level thoughts, uh, reaction to that announcement for that being the uh, the 1-4 matchup here for the college football playoff. Well, not feeling too great about Notre Dame's chances after you know them unfortunately getting the break speed off them by Clemson over the weekend, but they're going to have to slow the game down you know, against this Alabama team and try to really milk the clock, play ball control, do what they can to kind of limit possessions, all those things you try to do against a you know, more explosive offense. And you know, I like a lot of these veteran players for Notre Dame. I just don't know if they have enough juice to kind of overcome the, you know, for lack of better words, the juice on the other sides, the Devontae Smiths and Najee Harris's and uh, that obviously prolific Alabama defense. But, you know, Ian Book's going to run around and make some things happen and always leaves kind of a door open for, uh, you know, a couple wild plays and uh, maybe a couple upset plays like, uh, you know, we saw Johnny Manziel run all over an Alabama defense years ago. So uh, Ian Book's going to have to bring uh, bring some magic with him. Dane, what do you think? Yeah, it's well said. And I, I think that for uh, the Alabama offense is going to score. And you know, the Notre Dame defense is has some players, but I don't think they have the DBs to to cover the Alabama receivers and stop that passing game. 
And, you know, kind of along the lines of what Ben was saying for the Notre Dame offense, uh, it's going to come down to Ian Book, and I think it's going to come down to the tight ends. Uh, you know, we saw, uh, you know, Dylan Moses struggle a little bit in coverage uh, against Florida and, you know, a Tommy Tremble and, uh, you know, the, the tight end group they have. It's gonna have, it's gonna be a lot of uh, you know milking the clock, moving the ball, and you know uh, converting those third and fives, and just being able to play mistake free football. It's gonna be a a big test, but you know this is the largest point spread in college uh, playoff uh, history. So uh, don't love Notre Dame's chances in this one. Does this feel like Bama against Jake Browning or Bama against was it Connor Cook or one of those uh, semifinal games Bama, years ago? Bama versus uh, Everett Golson in the BCS title game uh, right, right, right. Uh, well, that, a couple <laughs> of years ago. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, actually, it's, it's funny you bring that one up because I, I remember there has been a lot of interviews that Brian Kelly has done since that 2012 season uh, where they went up to, against them. It was Monty Teo and those guys uh, in the national title game. And he said one of the big takeaways coming out of that was well, we need to we need to be dominant in the trenches. We got to be big and physical up front to contend with Alabama. That was that was nine years ago, right? I mean, that, that was a long time ago, which is an eternity in college football time. I agree with you, Dane. Like they don't have the horses out lot from a skill position player standpoint to be able to hold. Kyron Williams is the, could be the X factor for them, you know, if they can milk the clock and control the ball, but. Uh, that's the formula to win uh, there for the Irish. And they just have a great senior presence on that uh, uh, Irish team. Obviously, yeah. uh, Wusu Koromoa and Dylan Hayes, the four offensive linemen, Ian Book, the grad transfers, and Skaronic and Nick McLeod. They're going to have to rely on those veterans to show up and make some plays for them. All right, let's go to the other one, Ohio State uh, and Clemson. Uh, Dane, uh, I'll let you kick things off. Uh, just surface-level thoughts uh, just on the announcement for that matchup. Yeah, and selfishly, I, I was hoping for this matchup because it's a great opportunity to evaluate Justin Fields uh, against a really talented defense. Um, okay. you know, the, Again, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I mean, I thought Fields played well last year uh, against Clemson. Yep. Uh, but you know that that last interception, it was on the receiver, and you know Fields has a chance to get some revenge here. Uh, this year, Fields against the best defenses on the Ohio State schedule has been unimpressive. Uh, Indiana, Northwestern. He was subpar in both games and both from a statistical output and then also from a scouting perspective. So it's it's really important for uh, Fields to play well in this game. And, you know, will he have Chris Olave back? Uh, that, that'll that be a big uh, question mark. Uh, you know, they you could certainly feel his absence against Northwestern. Um, but, you know, it's just it's going to be tough because. Clemson's going to score. Similar with, uh, you know, with Ohio State, they don't have uh, the consistency on the back end to stop Trevor Lawrence uh, and that uh, Clemson offense. So if the Buckeyes are going to pull the upset, they need to win a, you know, 38-35 type of game. Uh, It's going to be a lot of points in this one because the Ohio State defense, I don't think it's going to be able to do enough to slow down Trevor Lawrence. Ben, I know you've been through the film on Justin Fields from this past week against Northwestern. Uh, what did you see from him in his latest big test against a, a good, I mean, a quality college football defense? Uh, you know, obviously he's going to be seeing something very similar to that, if not obviously a lot better with Clemson. I was really disappointed with his. Uh ability to go through progressions. You know, his accuracy was really suffering as he gets to those check downs. He's just a little frenetic when his initial reads not there. And it just brings me to those initial progressions where he doesn't always want to rip those tight window throws. He's a little gun shy, which, you know, doesn't, uh, you know, play well to his anticipation level. And then as I got to the second half, I said, you know, you got to give credit to Northwestern. They were playing a lot of man coverage, a lot of island defense on those corners out there, a lot of corners that probably aren't known nationally. And they really blanketed a lot of those receivers out there. And I give Northwestern secondary corners and safeties a lot of credit for smothering those Ohio State receivers that don't see a lot of, you know, tight man coverage like that through a Big Ten play. So, uh, you know, hats off to the defense out there. But Justin Fields definitely uh, struggled a little bit with his decision making and just, you know, going through his progressions when that initial read isn't there. But a lot of times that read was there. And I just felt like he wasn't willing to rip throws when he needed to with that kind of intent and aggressive style that, you know, you're going to see a little color underneath or maybe a corners in somebody's hip. You got to rip those balls, you know, on third and mediums and longs and on those got to have it downs. Not everything's going to be, you know, broken down late into the down or, you know, wide open plays. And uh, I think there's a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL that go through similar struggles when you have to make those tight window throws. 
Mm. Yeah, it'll be uh, really, really interesting just to see how Fields looks uh, in this rematch against Clemson. Well, guys, uh, I, we could keep going, but we're going to have plenty of time to talk about those two playoff matchups. Let's get into some big announcements here from the Senior Bowl. Not as many as we had last week where it was just a, a name dump of a bunch of guys, but uh, they did make the official announcement uh, last Wednesday on the Move the Sticks podcast with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Uh, Jim Nagy went on. They went through the whole uh, roster, and some big names have been announced uh, even just since then. So really Real quick, just wanted to kind of get things off, and we'll kick things off here with a Notre Dame player, and that's a, a Northwestern transfer. So we got some tie-ins here. Dane, tell us about Notre Dame wide receiver Ben Squarnick. Well, and this is why he he transferred it is to boost his NFL chances. If he uh, stays at Northwestern for the senior year, I doubt he has this invite right now. So you know, he's a tall, long-framed receiver. Love the high-pointing skills. Uh, it, it seems really like his versatility because he'll go do the dirty work, uh, blocking special teams. He's going to earn his way under an NFL roster doing that. Yeah, and I, I'll look at the next guy here, and that's Boston College tight end Hunter Long, who led that team in receiving last year in a run-first offense, then came back this year in a new scheme where they kind of spread things out and threw it all over the yard. It's 6'5", 255. This kid's a fluid athlete. He's really smooth, easy transition. He's able to change gears and pull away from linebackers at the second level. He can work vertically down the seam and be a factor as a pass catcher. So you're talking about a guy who could be a two-way player at the tight end position. That brings value. I think he could be an Austin Hooper-level player moving on to the NFL, and I think there are a lot of similarities there. Long is a redshirt junior, already got his degree. Now he's going to Mobile, and he's going to be uh, one of the best tight ends down in attendance down there at the Senior Bowl. So we've got Ben Squarnick, the uh, the Notre Dame tra- or the Notre Dame receiver, the Boston College tight end Hunter Long. Let's now go to the MAC Bowling Green tight end Quinton Morris. Ben, uh, what do you know about Quinton Morris, and what's he going to bring to the Senior Bowl? He might be in the tight end group with Hunter Long, but a much different style player. Hunter Long's about eighty percent in line tight end with his hand in the ground. Quinton Morris is six four two thirty was listed as a receiver for his three, first three years, finally listed as a tight end this year. So we're talking about more of an H-back, big slot, tight end, move tight end type of player. We'll even line up in the backfield at a 44-yard touchdown uh, against Akron on a vertical leak out of the backfield. He's athletic, led his team in receiving last year. Really reminds me of like a Gerald Everett style of player with the Rams uh, coming out of USA a few years ago for a good comp. All right, let's go to uh, the offensive line now. We're going to go to Tennessee, a big name here for the Senior Bowl, Trey Smith, the left guard for the Volunteers. Dane, uh, thoughts on Trey Smith? I know a little bit of a down year uh, for the senior, but overall, uh, what are your thoughts on what we'll see from him down in Mobile? Yeah, and real quick on Quentin Morris, he was the only senior to make my top 10 uh, rankings at tight ends. So he, he's uh, uh, a big fan of Quentin Morris and what he can do. Uh, with Trey Smith, yeah, it, this is an important invite because, uh, and I'm glad he accepted, uh, it's just been an up and down season for him. He's 6'5", 335 pounds, uh, a lot of first round grades around the league entering the season because he just bounces defenders up and down the field. But he's been really sloppy this year. He's lunging. The eyes are are looking at the grass. Uh, you know, he's not playing consistently with that that mean uh, demeanor. He ends up on the ground too much. Uh, he has the ability to anchor and just bully whoever he faces. Uh, but he just needs to be more consistent. And so, you know, we're going to be able to see throughout the week of Senior Bowl practices if. You know, just is he able to do that? Is he able to get back with teams and their good graces? It's not going to take much for teams to fall back in love with this player. It's just he needs to be consistent uh, during practices. And I think he has the ability to do that. Do you think he's scheme specific, guys? I think he certainly fits in some schemes better, but I do think that there's yeah. enough athleticism there that he can that he can fit into any scheme. But I, I think that he certainly is a better fit for teams that you know want their guys in a phone booth and prioritize people movers and vertical displacement from their offensive line. Is that fair? That's yeah, that's fair. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so uh, Trey Smith works with you know a friend of all of ours and Duke Mannyweather, one of the best offensive line trainers uh, in the business. Another guy that works uh, with him as well, Jack Anderson from Texas Tech. Uh, ben, you and I were around Jack uh, as well as Trey Smith down at the uh, the O line masterminds a couple of years ago, a couple of summers ago. Uh, Anderson, six five, three hundred twenty pounds. First popped onto my radar. It's a second team All Conference player as a true sophomore in twenty eighteen. He's got some nasty to him. He's got two step a two step anchor. He is tough to move off his spot. He's a really smart player. Under 
understands angles, a solid athlete across the board. There weren't a, a lot of questions I had overall about Anderson. I, thought, I just thought he was a rock-solid player, um, and we'll see get, get to see him uh, down in Mobile. We'll go over to the defensive side. One of the big names that they announced on that reveal show on the Move the Sticks podcast, Patrick Jones, the pass rusher from Pitt. Ben, uh, thoughts on Patrick Jones being announced uh, for the Senior Bowl? Love this kid because he plays the run just as well as he plays the pass. He's 6'5", 260, stand-up edge rusher. Uh, 62 QB pressures last year, led the ACC. Excellent at setting the edge in the run game with that 260-pound frame. Knows his gap fit and responsibilities. Really good get-off. Bunch of pass rush move. He's not a twitchy guy, so he has to win with all these hand moves, long arms, club rips, inside swims. And I love how they use him in the sub-packages. He'll be standing up in the B-gaps, standing up in the A-gaps, just walking around pre-snap. A lot of twists and stunts with Rashad Weaver, another pass rushing stud. Really reminds me of Preston Smith, the way he came out of Mississippi State, his early career with the Washington football team, and now at the Packers, every bit of 265, 270, same thing. Stand-up edge rusher, not a whole lot of twitch, decent run defender. I think Preston Smith's a good kind of visual for uh, fans of Patrick Jones. And uh, Jim Nagy did say on that podcast that uh, both Patrick Jones and Rashad Weaver really in that day two conversation uh, at this point. So keep an couple, eye on a couple of pit Panthers down there. Yep, exactly right. Uh, let's go now to the Big 12. Uh, Dane, give us your thoughts on Kansas State pass rusher Wyatt Hubert, I believe a junior uh, who is going to make his way down to the senior bowl. Yeah, and over the last two seasons, he has really been uh, impressive. He ranks fourth in the country uh, in quarterback pressures over that time. Uh, he's just a very well-established rusher, uh, a redshirt junior who declared and graduated, so he is eligible for this game. Not a super long player, but he does a really nice job with angles, and he's got he's got these spurts of suddenness to him, and that really stresses blockers in space. Uh, he should be a fun player to watch in one-on-ones. Another pass rusher that, Ben, I know you've talked about numerous times here on the show, UAB's Jordan Smith. Uh, give us a refresher on what Smith brings to the table. Well, this guy's going to be easy to find out on the field uh, because he's 6'7", 255. He's long. He's tall. He's going to stand out. He's actually a Florida transfer. Uh, a little bit of an incident there with that credit card kind of fraud scheme with a couple other players. Shows up that UAB, prolific 2019 season with eight sacks, 14 and a half TFLs. was actually the highest run uh run-graded defender by PFF among defensive ends and defensive tackles. So he's a guy that got after the passer and played the run well. But it's UAB, so you're worried about that competition. Go put on the Tennessee game last year at nine QB pressures. This year at 12 against LaTeX, 10 against Rice. They come in bunches. This guy is an absolute quarterback killer. He's long. He's tall. Reminds me a little bit of Alex McAllister coming out mm. of Florida years ago, but I think he's more technical and more ready to play. Uh, but similar type of mold and those inspector gadget limbs. He's tall and he's long. Like a Devin Taylor type when he was coming out of South Carolina a few years back. Yep. Uh, let's go to the second level at linebacker, the only linebacker that we haven't already talked about, Georgia's Monty Rice. Dane, uh, we'll go to you for the former Bulldog. Yeah, Rice is one of the better day two linebacker prospects in this class. Uh, extremely physical player, hits like a freight train, uh, competes with that killer mentality that you want out of a Mike. Uh, he'll finish, uh, scrape blocks. Uh, also, I think he has the pursuit speed where he'll string runs outside. Biggest things that I'll be looking at uh, in Mobile, how does he hold up in coverage reps? Uh, how does he do breaking down in space? Uh, if he does well in those two areas, he could really help himself. Let's go now to the uh, to the secondary. Dane, I'm going to come right back to you. The, another junior, Syracuse corner, Ifiatu Melifanwu. We remember his uh, his older brother, Obi, Obi Melifanwu from UConn, uh, was a former second-round pick, I believe. Uh, what does the younger Melifanwu bring to the table? Have you done him yet? Yeah, well, I, I've got two tapes in, so I need to see more. Um, but, you know, he's – if he is anywhere like his brother – because his brother was a combine darling a few years back. If he's anywhere like his brother in terms of – uh, the athletic ability, that's going to be a huge boost with the workout numbers because he's tall, he's long, just like his brother, 6'3", 215 pounds. The raw traits, they're intriguing. There's no question. Uh, it's just right now he really, really lacks polish uh, with his technique, with his recognition skills. Uh, frequently, he's making contact before the ball arrives. So we'll be able to see him uh, down there in mobile, see how he, how he holds up. And it'll be interesting if they keep him exclusively at corner. Mm. Do they give him some reps at safety? Uh, I think that'll be something important to watch. He's a similar athletic ball of clay. He played both sides in high school, track, lacrosse, captain of the basketball team, really could have played a number of sports in college, similar type of uh, athletic profile. 
And those positional questions were the same ones that Obi had coming out of UConn. Was he a corner? Was he a safety? A lot of people have kind of viewed him differently. I know he played uh, all over the place, uh, not just in college, but also in the NFL. Uh, I would say some similar things about Jaquan Brisker, the the Penn State safety, the last guy we're going to hit on here. Uh, Athletic kid was on Bruce Feldman's freak list coming into the year. Um, I don't know that that athleticism always shows up on film, but this is a guy who can play in space. I think he's got the range to play sideline to sideline. Still kind of a little bit indecisive with everything that he's doing, but when you're talking about those kind of traits at the uh, certainly in the secondary, but certainly at the safety spot in today's league, where you're trying to find matchup players and a guy who's six one, you know, just about two hundred pounds. This is a guy who can match up against tight ends. I mean, he's a high school corner, went to the junior college route, played at Lackawanna Community College, and was extremely productive. Goes to Penn State and becomes a starter in his senior year. Still kind of, again, still kind of coming along from the mental side, but a couple years down the line, maybe you feel that he can develop into a starter. So He actually uh, has the number one tackling grade by PFF this year. One missed tackle on 49 or 50 attempts or something. So once he does get to the spot, he usually makes the play. Certainly uh, something to keep an eye out for uh, once we get down to the game in Mobile. Uh, all right, let's get to our uh, our game balls here this week, guys. Championship week in college football. Can't believe uh, that the regular season is is beyond us. We're, we're through. We're, we're into bowl season. Uh, but let's get to our game balls. And to me, uh, I'll kick things off here. The game that I had my eyes on most this past weekend, Ohio State Northwestern Big Ten title uh, was the noon start. And uh, you know, watching Ohio State, Ben, you talked about Justin Fields, uh, the struggles that he had against this Northwestern defense. I'll tell you who didn't have any struggle. Uh, that's the running back, Trey Sermon, the Oklahoma transfer who has really heated up over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think when you look at Trey Sermon, he carried the ball decisively. He ran for over three bills in this game, uh, was able to reach the end zone a couple of times. He ran decisively. He ran hard. You saw the, you saw the contact balance. You saw the vision, the ability to make people miss out in, in space. I was really impressed with Trey Sermon uh, watching this game. I'm excited to do more work on him. He's another guy going down to the senior bowl. But uh, Trey Sermon really, really stood out to me in this game, Dan. It it was tough because the first four games uh, for Ohio State, he looked like a shell of who he was at Oklahoma. And so you're left wondering, like, okay, what's going on here? Like, you know, this is not the player I saw over the summer. But when you factor in the pandemic, you factor in he's coming off an injury, uh, you know, having few uh, practice reps with a new playbook, a new team, a new offense. Uh, that all factors in. And he went over 100 yards the week before against Michigan State and then had this monster of a game against a, a pretty good Northwestern defense. Um, I, I mean, just a remarkable performance by him who uh, he helped himself uh, in the eyes of scouts because a lot of teams were pointing and say, OK, that's the Trey Sermon I know. That's the guy that, you know, is, is received uh, grades in the top four rounds uh, in this draft class. So uh, a huge game for him, not only in the, in the stat book, but also with uh, NFL scouts as well. Dane, I'll let you uh, go next here. Who, do, who did you like? Who got your game ball here this week? So I went with Amari Rogers, uh, wide receiver uh, from Clemson. He led uh, all receivers in the ACC title game with eight catches for 121 yards, including a 67-yard touchdown catch. I tell you what, my appreciation for Rodgers just continues to grow every time I see him. I tweeted this during the game, but I would not be shocked at all if he's one of the first 10 receivers drafted at that position, which I didn't think I'd say even a couple weeks ago. But the more and more I study him, uh, I, it just is so easy to like him. He's very natural catching the ball. Uh, he's very seamless in his transition from ball carrier uh, or from receiver to ball carrier. And I, I swear, my clicker, it feels like I have a rumble pack on on when I'm doing his tape because I you feel the play strength. You feel uh, just how physical he plays. It, there, there's a lot of Debo Samuel to his game. Uh, he might struggle a little bit as an outside receiver at the next level, but, uh, I mean, I tell you what, the, the instincts, the play strength, the acceleration, I, I want this guy on my team. And so whoever drafts tre- uh, Trevor Lawrence won, this is who I'd be targeting uh, in that early third round to, to try to pair these guys up again. Certainly a, a quarterback's best friend type in terms of his receiving profile. I really like watching Amari Rogers, and I know that staff down there absolutely loves them, some Amari Rogers. Ben, uh, who got your game ball this week? Yeah, I'm noticing my sheet here. I've somehow not done Amari Rogers. I've seen him in person a bunch. The only note I have written down is built like slot receiver or built like running back, plays in the slot, yes. unicorn in Clemson receiving room. Like everybody else is tall and long. Right. He's a short, stocky one. But let's go with the Alabama in their uh, SEC championship game. Najee Harris, 31 for 178, two touchdowns, 94 of those coming after contact. Oh, yeah, five catches, 67 yards, and three touchdowns receiving. 
zero drops in 2020 guys, one drop in the last 42 games, only two total drops in his career. I think he's a much more prolific receiving back than people give him credit for. I know he's in a little bit of a strange frame in that six, two kind of upright Latavius Murray, you know, looking, uh, you know, mold, but this is a well-rounded back, good pass pro. He's a three down player. I don't know where it gets him drafted, but this guy just shows up week in and week out. And I know that offensive line does a lot of work, but watch when he gets in the open field and those unblocked safeties have to come down. He handles contact balance very well. He can be elusive with picking his feet up and his knees up on contact. He finishes runs. I have a lot of trouble finding things to not like about Najee Harris. He is he is a lot of fun to watch. I mean, you talk about just physical, aggressive, decisive runners. Uh, and also can get it done in the past game, as he showed uh, in this game. The uh, weirdest Najee. thing is the frame. Like, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I was getting Arian Foster vibes watching him uh, on Saturday. I mean, is there any, is that just me? Because I mean, there, there's only so many bigger backs that uh, have that type of ability out of the backfield, rushing the ball, but also catching the ball. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. short list, and Arian Foster is one of them. Uh, I don't know he's quite on that level just as an outside zone runner, but – uh, there, there's a little bit of that to his game as a big athlete. He plays with more of that kind of upright sort through behind the line, as, as opposed to those guys that really play with knee bend low to the ground and kind of search for lane. So Arian Foster right. definitely was that upright slasher. It's easy to kind of see that. No question. I, I, Harris, I think there's a lot of, a lot of guys you could kind of draw comparisons to from when you go to talk about those oversized backs, but just have that straight line ability to come downhill and just be so violent. I like the Arian Foster uh, comparison there for sure. He can lower his pads and short yardage too. Yeah. Like it just no seems question. like he gets everything done. He gets it done, you know? No question. Well, let's get to our one play takeaway here. And uh, Ben, oh, we rounded out the last one with you. We'll, we'll come back to you because I know yours, uh, your player comes from that same game in the SEC title. Yeah, we're going to go to the other side of the ball. Kadarius Toney, guys, in my opinion, is working himself into first-round discussion. And I thought that SEC championship game was a great display of how Dan Mullen has been using him this year and how he could be projected to the next level. I love. I hate. I know it's a one-play takeaway. I put up a five-play five-play sequence up on Twitter and just you know the slot fade, the rolls in the backfield, the RPO stuff, the screens. I particularly love the vertical touchdown out of the backfield, which gets him a clean release up up excuse me, right up on a linebacker, kind of an acrobatic catch, you know, breaks a tackle on the way to the end zone there. You just do a lot, a lot over the middle of the field and where you line them up, whether it's the tight slot, the backfield, the yards after catch, not only tough yards after catch a running back, he could be elusive as well. And then the route running, I thought he put on a full gauntlet of what I can do at the next level uh, on Saturday against a very prolific Alabama defense. Love that. Uh, he's a, a certainly a dynamic playmaker. Dane, uh, let's come to you. Who's uh, who's your one play takeaway? So I went with a player who, who doesn't receive enough national love, and that's Boise State's Avery Williams, who's a solid corner, but his ability as a return man, that's what could get him drafted on day three on Saturday against San Jose State. Uh, he... He returned a punt for a touchdown, which was his sixth of his career. He also has three kickoff returns for touchdowns, nine total return touchdowns in his career. That ties the FBS record. Uh, Williams, he's small. He's 5'8", 196 pounds, but his vision and speed as a return man are pretty impressive. He hates the fair catch. He'll stay in there. He'll receive the punt, and then he, he sees the field so well. So he'll he'll out angle pursuit. I, why teams even kick to him is beyond me. But it's great for Williams because he's giving teams more reason to draft him in the later rounds as a player that could compete for a spot on the on the special teams coverage and also give you depth at corner. A guy that's been a little up and down in his coverage the past two years, but if you go back yeah. early on, seventeen and eighteen, really uh, made a name for himself early. So uh, for mine, I, I told you guys know earlier, I gave my game ball to Trey Sermon, the running back from Ohio State. I was very close to giving this game ball to Justin Hilliard, the sixth-year linebacker for Ohio State. And this is a guy that I first kind of got put onto when Jim Nagy was tweeting about him over the summer. And this is a sixth-year senior at linebacker for Ohio State, 6'1", just over 230 pounds. His injury history is long. I mean, it is. I mean, it, you go to 15, his senior year of high school, uh, he missed the U.S. Army All-American Bowl because of a knee injury, torn bicep in 2016, another bicep in, in 2017, missed the year, uh, torn Achilles injury um, in, thir- in 2019, so missed mu- mu- uh, you know a bunch of time in the offseason as well. Very long list of injuries, and then you look at his the, over his just his stats. I mean, four tackles as a true freshman, 14 tackles in 17, 20 tackles, 13 tackles. 
This game in the Big Ten title, he had nine tackles playing in place of Baron Browning, the other senior linebacker there. And Hilliard was outstanding. He had two tackles for loss. The biggest play was an interception he had in the red zone. If Northwestern can score there, guys, I think they win this game because I think they capture momentum. I think that they ha- they hold on to that ball or hold on to that victory, uh, you know, and kind of salt away. I think when Hilliard makes that play in the red zone, it gives Ohio State some much needed juice. He goes up and high points the ball out wide in the end zone, finishes at the catch point for the pick. Just an outstanding play. That's my one play takeaway. But Justin Hilliard in this game, uh, pretty awesome considering the fact that, you know, what he's been through, the adversity he's fought through. I know people on that staff love Justin Hilliard and what he stands for as well. We talked about that with Amari Rogers. I think with Justin Hilliard, uh, certainly a guy to keep an eye out for. The, the injury history, the durability, that's going to be the big question. But uh, certainly a really fun performance, a great story coming out of the Big Ten title. Um, Let's go now to our down-the-road freak shows, freshmen, sophomores, guys that are uh, not eligible here for 2021. Ben, I'll let you kick things off. Who's your uh, your down-the-road guy this week? Well, another true freshman receiver up at LSU, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, you know, um, Terrence Marshall. There's uh, another one coming. That's Kayshawn Boutte, six foot, 185, true freshman. Came on the scene last week with 307 receiving yards, three touchdowns. That's an SEC freshman record all over the field. Go put on that tape, receiving passes from Brad Johnson's uh, son, blanking on his first name. I think Max. Max. I was, 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 was going to bring up Max Johnson. Oh, well, there you go. And uh, yeah, just uh, another guy to add to the list. I'm not going too far down his film study or anything. Cause there's too many other guys to watch, but uh, Kayshawn Boutte. So I'll do a file away for later. Yeah, uh, Max Johnson, 6'5", 220 pounds. Uh, freshman quarterback comes in, and there's been all. I mean, the, it's been a rotation of the the highest order for LSU at quarterback this year. They've played like three or four guys, but uh, Max Johnson, as a true freshman from Athens, Georgia, uh, coming in and throwing for 400 yards in the uh, the, the season finale. Uh, good for that kid, especially you know hooking up uh, with Boutte the way that he did. Certainly a, a good sign for the future here for LSU. Dane, uh, who's your down the road guy this week? And I can't remember if we have talked about uh, him uh, on a previous episode or not, but uh, EJ Williams, uh, Clemson wide receiver, definitely caught my eye. Uh, that one-handed catch he had along the sideline was just sick. A 6'3", 190. Uh, he finished with four catches for 80 yards and a touchdown on the night. Only a true freshman, but he's starting to heat up a little bit. Definitely a name we'll be talking about again. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get to the guys that we studied on film uh, over the last week or so. Dane, I'll let you kick things off. Who, who's your film room recap this week? So I went with uh, Jalen Phillips, uh, edge rusher out of uh, Miami, who is very, very talented. He is a first-round talent. I feel very confident saying that. Uh, The injury history uh, and just making sure he's good off the field is going to be a big thing. Uh, He had to medically retire. Uh, UCLA would not uh, clear him. Uh, He goes transfers to Miami, and he's been – he sat out last year, and this year he's been uh, a big part of – uh, of that program, uh, it been uh, arguably the best pass rusher. So, uh, there's a lot to like about, he, he, he gives me vibes of like a Ryan Kerrigan type. Uh, he's not super explosive, but he's very smooth in his upfield attack. Uh, he can redirect, he can use his hands, his reach his weapons. Uh, he, he, he rushes with his hair on fire, really his curls. Cause he's got that curly hair going out, <laughs> going on. Uh, but his eyes, they stay locked on the ball at all times. So he can crash down. He, he understands where the play design is going. Uh, and that makes him equally productive versus the run and the pass. So, uh, with his, his body type, his athleticism, his nose for the football, uh, this is a player who projects as an NFL starter. It just comes down to the, those medicals and you know whether or not teams are going to be comfortable with him. His body type is really interesting. He came out of high school about 250. He looked like he was about 220, though. Very strong, good core strength. Didn't look like he had a ripple of fat on him. There were some rivals camp series before he went to UCLA where he had one-on-ones against Leatherwood and Jedrick Wills and Cesar Ruiz and all these who-who offensive linemen. Smoked them all. And it just seemed like it was this almost a linebacker rushing the passer against these massive tackles that nobody could get their hands on him. He had spin moves, inside darting moves, bunch of hand rips. He was easily the best uh, pass rusher at that camp with the, definitely a who's who of college football players. Well, that's why he was the number one recruit that year. No question. Uh, yeah. you know, Najee Harris was number two, uh, but this this is the guy that was number one. So talent is definitely there. One other thing, I know I'm talking to NFL scouts about him. They say that you know he genuinely enjoys football, but music will always be his – first passion. And that's something that, you know, uh, we'll have to figure out as well. 
So let's get to uh, to Ben to to yours. You talked about Jalen Phillips and you know what he looked like from a physical standpoint. Uh, I know Kentucky tackled Darian Kennard, uh, a physically imposing figure for sure for that uh, that Kentucky offensive line. Yeah, I've been hyping up this old line uh, all season. Drake Jackson at center and Landon Young uh, at uh, left tackle, but their right tackle Darian Kennard is a really good player in a tackle group that seems like it just keeps growing and growing and growing. But he's from St. Ignatius out in Ohio, two years apart from Lee and Eichenberg, took over from him, shot putter uh, in high school, U.S. Army All-American, played on the national team. It's a massive wide frame tackle, 6'5", nearly 335 pounds, powerful people mover. He's strong, sturdy lower half to anchor against power. He has functional lateral agility, though, to pull and redirect at that size, which is makes him really really intriguing crushes down blocks came to Kentucky at like 360. His weight has been up and down in his time there. I'm not sure if that's a concern moving forward, his grip, his torque, his displacement of defensive ends. He moves people. He jolts defensive linemen out of their gaps and somehow does it without being too over aggressive. He has one penalty in 1600 snaps in his career. 25 games started has one penalty. Which, you know, it's almost like I would like to see a couple more, you know, maybe push the, <laughs> push the envelope a little bit. Um, some of the issues doesn't always land the punches, a bit of a hugger at times, wide punches, doesn't always stay busy looking for work, which I want him to, you know, really smash some three techs when he's uncovered. His weight concern, as I had mentioned, played a little left tackle in 2018. One game started there. He has some experience. If uh, you're watching the Alabama game, don't worry. He's wearing number 65 in honor of his O-line coach that passed away, which as film watchers, we hate when guys do that because you know, changing numbers midseason, but did it to honor his offensive line uh, coach. So reminds me a lot of Cody Ford of Oklahoma. Mm. Uh, so he might be able to slide in and play guard right away. I think this guy's ready to play with some positional versatility. I wrote down Max Starks, Cordy Glenn, definitely a big style of tackle that won't be for everybody. But some teams may say, let's slide you into guard and you can play right away. So I have a second round grade on this kid. I don't think he's going to work his way into the first round, but uh, he's a very good looking player and has a lot of good ball uh, down there in the SEC. I love that. Uh, I'm going to round things out, guys. With uh, I mentioned I, I watched the, the Penn State safety, Jaquan Brisker, uh, earlier. Well, I watched him and Tariq Castro-Field, who was also going to the senior ball, and that is the senior corner there for the Nittany Lions. And I came away really liking Tariq Castro Fields. I know that he's been a little bit up and down. Uh, you know, from what I can tell, the uh, you know the coaches wanted to see a little bit more consistency from him. But at six foot one eighty five, I saw a two year starter who was a good athlete, probably quicker than fast. I didn't see an electric athlete. Uh, that I would say that his time speed isn't going to wow us in terms of uh, you know his ability to recover. And I think that shows up on film. I think he's just got solid recovery ability. But this guy is sticky in man to man coverage. He's aggressive and he's calm and collected and pressed. So he's not leaning too much. He's not lunging. He's not throwing himself off balance early in the down. And that allows him to stay sticky, stay on top of that receiver early on. And he also just has really good route awareness, his ability to kind of jump routes, make plays on the football. My question, here's my lone question, because he's also good against the run as well. My lone question is when he's down the field, does he have that ability to stay in phase and make a play on the ball down the field because uh, while the production has been there, he's had 22 ball disruptions in 19 and 18 starts. That's a, that's a fair number. He does not have a lot of plays down the field. So I do worry about that. That being said, if you're playing a zone heavy scheme, which there are plenty of schemes out there that are zone heavy. I think if you're playing a zone heavy scheme, this kind would not shock me if he goes third round, fourth round, and comes in and becomes a relatively early starter uh, for a team because I think he's got a lot of what you're looking for in that kind of a system. Toughness, competitiveness, instincts, the ability to to stick in man or zone. Uh, He's not going to wow us on the stopwatch, but I I liked Tariq Castro-Fields. I kind of came away liking him uh, as a guy that could compete to start on the outside. He also slid inside as well uh, in their dime package, so he's got some slot experience, but I came away liking Tariq castro You're like a more or less than a warrior two years ago. I like him more than Awarie a couple years ago, and he's played a little bit for uh, for Detroit. But I, I like him a little a little bit more than I liked Awarie, uh, you know, coming from the same school. Um, all right, guys, well let's uh, let's wrap things up here. Let's go to our next segment. We're going to get now on the clock fun discussion with Chris McPherson. On the clock. 
All right, well, let's turn up the heat here in our On the Clock segment as we uh, welcome in Chris McPherson, C-Mac. Uh, welcome back to the show, sir. Hope uh, hope you guys are happen- a, having a very happy holiday week. Hope you guys uh, you know uh, have a good week in the McPherson household. Very much so. I-, I was disappointed because when the Eagles play the Saints at Lincoln Financial Field, I wore the Eagle Santa hat, brought it out for the holidays, figure it's the last home game you know, before everything gets underway. And the Eagles won. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, I got to wear it to uh, while I'm watching the game on Sunday against the Cardinals. It, it didn't quite bring the luck I was hoping for, but still a, a festive time to say at least and hope everyone's having a wonderful holiday out there as well. So, not, you know, maybe you three guys, not as much. I'm sure it'll be a little bit better depending on who wins this showdown here on Monday. Well, you're, you're going to put two of us in a bad mood as we go into the rest of the holiday week. But uh, let's just update people on the standings. I've got five wins here. Dane's got five wins. Ben's got four. It's about as tight as it gets at this point in the season. The topic today, who is worthy of the Heisman Trophy? Who should win the Heisman? Wow. Okay. uh, We went back and forth here. Uh, I am going to get the number one pick. Dane will have the second pick. Ben, who led us off last week, he will have the third pick. And uh, C-Mac, I'll kick us off here. And I'm going to go with a a non-quarterback here. I'm going to go with Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith. All right. Now, look, only three receivers have ever won the Heisman, right? I mean, this is not not an easy argument to make, but I think when it comes to Devontae Smith here in the year 2020, I think you could say, yeah, this guy is very much deserving. Not only is he the best player on the best team in the country, the number one of the, the best offense, the most explosive passing game, leads college football in receiving yards. He's got over 1,300 yards receiving in an only SEC schedule. So, again, they didn't play anybody out of conference. They went only against conference opponents. He's got over 1,300 yards. He's second in the nation in, with 15 passing touch, or receiving touchdowns. And not only that, but he's also putting up scoring as a runner and as a punt returner. If you look back at the, at the guys who have won the Heisman in the past, at the receiver position, the last guy to do it, 1991. We're going almost two decades. Desmond Howard, and we know one of the most versatile players in college football that year. You go back to Tim Brown. You go back to Johnny Rogers. They were the only three receivers to ever win the Heisman Trophy. And I think when you look ultimately at Devontae Smith, he's put up enough of the resume that he's that he's got the ability to be able to take home the hardware here in this uh, in this season. Is a, a little bit of a weird year, but I think he's got the ability to do it again. Because of his running ability, because of the uh, because of the special teams value, which he proved two games ago, uh, he caught the game-winning touchdown in the SEC title against Florida. He's got some of the best hands in the country. Ultimately, I think when you look at Devontae Smith, yeah, you would say, oh, well, it's got to go to a quarterback. Nine out of the last ten have gone to a quarterback. The only one to not do it, Derrick Henry, also for University of Alabama. The last guy to not be a quarterback to win it the year before Derrick Henry, Mark Ingram, another former Alabama guy. So the last, if you're not a quarterback, you better be a skill position player from the Alabama Crimson Tide under Nick Saban. I'm going to put my uh, put my money here on Devontae Smith. Can you go back? What was his performance against Florida in the SEC championship? The ultimate numbers. I can grab that for you really quick. I know. Or what, what was the the mile? You know the the what, what was his like biggest play of the year? I guess did he have like a clutch moment? Anything along those lines that would stand out to you? I mean, he's had just... out. See, like he has had. Uh, big time catches in almost, I mean, just this past week against Florida, he had 15 catches, which was a season high for 184 yards and two touchdowns. He went for eight, eight for 231 and three touchdowns against LSU. That's probably an exclamation point performance, especially considering uh, going up against LSU and the national and the defending national champs. But I mean, almost every single week, he's putting up monstrous numbers. He's only had a couple games where he hasn't reached the uh, the century mark in the receiving category. Um, to me, uh, there's I, I don't know that I can name one specific Heisman moment, but he has just made ridiculous catch after ridiculous catch after ridiculous catch. Uh, to me, Smith, the best player in college football, and that's what the award is all about. Would you say what was his worst performance of the season? Mm-hmm. I would say his worst performance of the season, and this is strict box score scouting because we're going, you know, I haven't watched every single rep of his yet from this year. But uh, I would say, I mean, look, against Arkansas, uh, he went three for 22. uh, And ultimately, though, that was the game where he uh, scored as a punt returner. And and so, yeah, he didn't do it on offense in that game, but uh, that's where he kind of showed off the versatility and special teams. So uh, I would say that would be the the line in the box score that uh, isn't as sexy for sure. All right, Dane, go. I'm gonna let you guys go, and I'll do the counter arguments afterwards. So this is a it was a strong opening salvo from Fran. So Dane, you're on the clock. 
All right. Well, Fran's got the right program, uh, but we're going to look at the quarterback because uh, Mac Jones, he's having a remarkable season. 76.5% completions, uh, over 3,700 passing yards, 32 touchdowns, four interceptions. Maybe the most important stat, zero losses. And I understand the talent around him is elite, but the quarterback still has to do the hardest part. Make the reads, move in the pocket, make the throws. And we can debate his NFL projection because you know, the physical traits are average, but all he does is execute. All you have to do is look at that SEC championship game on Saturday. Florida, to their credit, kept coming back, kept coming back. They answered whatever Alabama was doing. How did Jones answer? Calmly went out there, pushed the ball down the field over and over. And it doesn't matter what the scoreboard says, the situation. He's the same consistent player who just executes. And he made it look very easy. And it's to the point where I think people just expect it out of him, which is a testament to what he's done. And, you know, this this goes a little bit to my argument against Fran's choice. But let's take Devontae Smith out of the lineup. Is Alabama still undefeated? Yeah. Maybe, probably. I mean, there's a decent chance. Now take Mac Jones out of the lineup. Same question. It would be much easier to replace Smith's production compared to what Jones is doing out there. And I think it's it's an it's an unfair argument because the quarterback is just asked to do more. Smith touches the game or touches the ball maybe nine times a game, where Jones touches it every single offensive snap. So uh, it's just the nature of the position. But that's also why when you look at the stats, you look at the record, you look at the overall impact. Mac Jones is your Heisman Trophy winner. Dane, what was his Heisman moment performance? Would you say this this game against Florida in the SEC championship? Was there another one that you would say help help strengthen your case? Well, yeah, I, mean, I look at this the the SEC championship game against Florida, and there wasn't like that wow throw where it was just like you know how do you do that? But the the fact that he just answered every single time out there when Kyle Trask, you, Kyle Trask was. Uh, competing his butt off, and I give him a lot of credit. But Mac Jones went out there, and even if it was a check down to Najee Harris, I mean, he's still making the reads. He's still going out there and doing everything. So the fact that he could go on that type of stage and still have that even keel demeanor and just execute like he's done all season, that level of consistency, that's to me what you know the the, the ability to be unflappable that that carries a lot of weight for for me. On the flip side, what was his worst performance of the season? What's the one that me as the Heisman voter here is not going to want to be checking out here? Uh, you know, I don't. He didn't really have. I think that's kind of speaks to why I like him so much is the consistency. He didn't have like a bad game. His lowest completion percentage in a game this year was like sixty six percent. He never had more than. He only had four interceptions on the year. Never more than one uh, in a single game. Um, I you know I think there was you know against Arkansas. He that was I think the one or second game where he did not have a, a passing touchdown. So uh, you know I think maybe you could say that, but the level of consistency uh, is why I think it's he, he's so impressive. All right, very good. So two from the Alabama Crimson Tide. Obviously the number one seed mm-hmm. for the playoffs. So you know obviously a chalk selections there. Ben, I, I look to you. Come out of left field. Come with something different to spice it up a little bit. You know, I, I'm I'm waiting for you to tell me it's gonna be like Alex Leatherwood or something. You know, like some some <laughs> lineman from from Alabama to to make the case. We're but, gonna uh, have our what? first left guard Heisman Trophy winner in 2020. Exactly. No, we're not gonna. So we're not too far. Unle- we're not too far on left field. We're in the infield here. We're probably at shortstop while Fran and Dane are playing pitch and catch here. But it's who's the best college football player, not who has the best situation and the best offense and the best weapons around him. So, you know, let's go right for Kyle Trask at the University of Florida. I thought Dane set him up really well, playing his butt off the other day in the SEC championship game against Alabama. But C-Mac, name me, you know, a wide receiver on Florida this year. Couldn't tell you one. Exactly. And I know you probably couldn't tell me an offensive lineman like you just did, Alex Leatherwood. Well, Kyle Trask doesn't have this big, cushy situation. You take Devontae Smith away from Alabama, yeah, they're probably undefeated. You take Mac Jones away from Alabama, yeah, they're probably undefeated. You take Kyle Trask away from Florida, they might be a middle-of-the-road team this year. And then the situations. I mean, Alabama, that big, cushy offensive line, that big, cushy run game, nearly 200 yards a game, barely touched in the pocket, a lot of RPOs, a lot of loaded boxes. You get the ball out to the perimeter weapons and let them do the work. And they do a great job in that offense. 
You know the leading rusher in a single game this year for Florida? It was 81 yards. They've only run over 50 yards for a single player, I think three or four times. It's Kyle Trask, Kyle Trask, Kyle Trask is the playmaker and the star for this Florida Gators offense. And he's been doing it with his arm and an absolute gauntlet of a schedule. Obviously, 11 in-conference games in the SEC. That's more than Joe Burrow had to play last year. He had some cushy games against Georgia Southern and Utah State and Mercer and, you know, little sister of the poor, you know, racking up another 15, 20 touchdowns to pad to his prolific season of 5,000 yards and 20 touchdowns. But when you start comparing, you know, against these Power 5 teams and these SEC teams, Kyle Trask is right up there. So I want you to look at the situation in a vacuum and say, what is he being asked to do in the scenario around him? I think Kyle Trask is the best player and the MVP of his team in 2020. While Mac Jones and Devontae Smith are excellent players, are they doing enough themselves? And that's the question. So what is it about Kyle Trask in that offense? Is it just that it's, it's, doesn't have the talent of the Alabamas and, and Clemson's that he's got to be asked to do more there, Ben? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit more of a drop-back game. It's a less commitment to the run game, so you don't see those play-action concepts as much. They're still working in, you know, the RPOs and trying to, you know, beat leverage of defenders like everybody's doing in football on Saturdays and Sundays. But he's really had to do a lot with his arm and be accurate and get the ball to these, you know, playmakers on the outside that maybe aren't as talented as the Jalen Waddles and Devontae Smiths of the world. Yeah, there's some Trayvon Grimes, who's an Ohio State transfer, Kadarius Toney. You're going to learn a lot about in the next couple of months leading up to the draft. Kyle Pitts is probably the low-hanging fruit you could have gotten uh, for skill player. I know I led you down the receiver group. Don't forget about Kyle Pitts, Philadelphia's own. But Kyle Trask has had to do a lot. But a lot of those plays, Kyle Pitts and Tony and Grimes, beautiful, beautiful ball placement, dropping in buckets and doing a lot of that work for those skilled players down the field. So Trask has had a great season. It's obviously waned a little bit here with back-to-back losses to LSU and Alabama. Uh, but a but a heck of a season up to this point. Oh, just throwing the back to back losses there. Which game? You know, so obviously Dane made a great case about you know Trask fought his butt off. What's the one that you know as a Heisman voter I'm not going to want to see or just kind of be like, ooh, that one's uh, really going to hurt the Kansas. So the the team, the collective team, that Texas A&M game early on was a tough loss for the team. Uh, but I actually thought he played okay. I just didn't think they did enough around him. That LSU game in a seriously inferior LSU defense in 2020, he did not look good. Barely cracked 60% completion percentage, just looked off. Just had one of those kind of off games that you typically see from, you know, starting quarterbacks for an entire season. So going to point to that LSU game, even a couple games where he had the win, the Missouri game. Wasn't always clean. Didn't always look great. But he's, you know, he's a tough kid. He plays through some bad moments and uh, will always put the team on his back in the fourth quarter. So, Dane, you've been licking your chops there to go after Ben's selection there. I'm still uh, caught off guard by (laughs) Ben saying, who who are Florida's wide receivers? (laughs) I, they're going to have you can obviously na- you can name the whole depth chart. I'm sure one no, to ten. OK, they're so. going to have two skill players drafted in the first round. Probably Kyle Pitts is going to be a top 12 pick and Kadarius Tony's got a good shot to be a first rounder. Was uh, Justin tra- Shorter the number one receiver in the class two years ago? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but he's a Penn State transfer. He's still learning the playbook. Shervon Grimes is, has a good chance to be a top 100 guy. He's a, he's a little bit of a, a Michael Pittman style receiver. I mean, it. You know, uh, Trask is a, a nice player. I, I think he's deserving of this conversation, no doubt. Uh, but I, I think, uh, to his credit, Ben hit it nose, uh, nail on the head uh, uh, that with the LSU game. That that pick six uh, in the first half, uh, I, I thought Trask kind of dug uh, his team a hole, and that was part of the reason they ended up losing that game. So uh, that that's something that uh, you know the three losses, uh, the one against LSU being you know partly you could point to some of his decisions as being a part of that. Uh, that, that stands out for me with Trask. In that LSU game, C-Mac, it was the one that made Dane remind us all that this is why he kept him out of his top 50. So a little bit buyer beware, and it doesn't have Trask in his top 50 doesn't last believe. I checked. But the thing, again, going back to what Dane said about, about Mac Jones, I don't care about the pro projections, whether they're going to go in the draft. Let's just worry about the resume for 2020. Fran, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to Dane's selection here, saying that, you know, it's a quarterback, okay? A receiver, Runner, punt returner, that's all fine and dandy, but 
the quarterback's got to touch the ball every single time. Yeah, unless it's the best player in the country by a long shot. And I think when you look back to when Derrick Henry won it uh, a few years ago, you could say that about Derrick Henry. When Mark Ingram won it uh, over a decade ago, you would say the same thing. I think when you look at Devontae Smith, there's no question when Alabama takes the field, who is the who is the guy that is the engine of that offense? You know, Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks over on the Move the Sticks podcast, they like using the analogy tractors versus trailers. Who are the guys that pull the rest of the offense with them and who else is just along for the ride? Devontae Smith is what makes that offense go. And, and to me, the, the one other big part that you would say about that is you would say, oh, well, you know, when they had Jalen Waddell, it's like, all right, well, who's, who's really the guy there in that offense? Jalen Waddell gets hurt. And Devontae Smith, his production just keeps going up. I think when you look at this guy, every single time you would say, oh, man, like I just don't know about him. He just keeps showing up. He makes catch after catch, big play after big play. No matter how they get him the ball, whether it's screen game, deep shots, crossing routes, punt return, run, or, you know, running the ball and end arounds, he finds a way to reach the end zone and make big plays. To me, he's the, he's the best player in college football. So let's see. So I was just uh, Googling here while you guys were talking at the end there. What is the actual Heisman Trophy? It's awarded to the most outstanding player in NCAA football. I just want to make sure that we get the exact definition of the award here to put it in its proper context. So It is not the best quarterback, believe it or not. The, believe it or not, yes. So, so Ben, second week in a row, I'm going to have to put Kyle Trask to the side. <laughs> I, it was a strong argument. I felt the, the passion, you know, I just really good. It's going to be tough to overcome three losses. I think that's, that's going to be it's a too tough to overcome, especially one against LSU because everyone knows how much LSU has struggled. I knew season. I was behind the eight ball on this one. I should. That's have fine. That's no. I thought I thought it was a worthy worthy argument. I thought it was very <laughs> very strong. Okay, you, you pull pull the heartstrings. Be like you know, forget Alabama. Let's go for one of the underdogs here. So certainly you know Kyle Trask would deserve some consideration. But we're going to put him to the side here. So you're going to the number one team. We're going. Is it the quarterback? or the all-purpose player here. So, you know, Mac Jones, I mean, th these numbers are, are pretty filthy. 3,700 yards, 32-4, to touchdown interception. Obviously undefeated, almost completed 77% of the passes. Uh, but you know what? It's 2020. I'm feeling a little spicy, feeling a little different here. And, again, if we're going to the most outstanding player, again, tops in receiving yards, second in touchdowns, can score from wherever on the field. Uh, the big, the big thing you mentioned there in the end, you kind of just threw it in there, but how uh, Jalen Waddle's situation and Devontae Smith is still producing, is producing at a higher clip. So I think that just helps push that argument, you know, that much stronger. And to add on top of it at the end, the all SEC schedule. So you're not to Ben's point earlier, you're not getting any uh, games where you can just pad your stats. So you know, Mac Jones probably in real life is probably going to end up winning this award just because it's the quarterback, but it's 2020. Fran, I'm going to give you the win with Devontae Smith here. So chalk it up. You, you and Meg and little Francis will have a wonderful holiday. And Dane and the family, Ben, you know, Ben will just, he'll just take me to the woodshed on the golf course uh, in the spring. Uh, I know I know who Ben's going to be talking to. The first, first order of business for Festivus dinner. Uh, he'll be talking to, to Chris <laughs> McPherson. Well, uh, guys, good stuff as always. We'll be uh, talking to you next week. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. Hope you guys enjoyed that spirited discussion there on the Heisman Trophy winner. But uh, let's now get into the last part of our show. It's time for Draft Mailbag. And we are going to answer a question here from cmart923, who left a five-star review and a long mock draft. Said, love that you guys talk draft all season long. I used the Draft Network's mock draft machine with the Eagles picking at number six and made a few trades, and he certainly did. I'm not going to go through all the details of all the different trades, but ultimately, he finished with the Eagles picking 13th overall, where he took Virginia Tech corner Caleb Farley. I love Caleb Farley, and I feel that he will probably be gone by the 13th pick when it's all said and done. It's hard to find corners with those physical traits. I mean, he is long. He is an explosive athlete, really can run with anybody uh, out in the perimeter. He's got some inside-outside versatility. He's really tough and competitive. He's got to clean things up from a tackling standpoint, but he's a willing tackler and he could finish on the ball he's got ball skills uh you know certainly has the wide receiver background he was a high school quarterback who played receiver his first couple of years with the Hokies and uh now is one of the more talented defensive players in this draft I think when you look at Farley he has got a high high ceiling moving forward into the NFL I'm a big fan uh, of his game second round 
getting a pass rusher in Jason Owe from Penn State. I view Jason Owe as more than the 38th overall pick in the draft. That being said, the production did not match the traits this year. Obviously, that's a weird season. Uh, you know, it's a shortened off season and all that. There's a, there's a lot of different things at play there. But you're going to question how come Owe didn't show up in the sack sheet uh, more often than he did here this season in 2020. That's going to be a question. It was only his first year as a starter. I know, you know there were other guys there. There were other, you know Joey Porter Jr. Uh, coming off the edge, Shaka Tony certainly the senior. Uh, they, you know they were able to rack up production. We didn't necessarily see that with Owe. I will just tell you that number one, this guy has been very disruptive. He, it's not that he wasn't doing anything on the film. He just wasn't able to finish for sacks. And again, look, this is a guy that when you at the at the end of the day, there are only so many players that are that big and move the way that, that kid does. He is a top shelf athlete for the position and he is powerful he's not just going to run by you he will try and run through you as well so uh jason oway round two hell of a steal there in my opinion uh round three that continues uh because chris olave uh in the third round of the draft would be a steal as well this guy's got some of the best feet at, at the receiver position in this class he can get off press coverage he's explosive he's fluid he can finish at the catch point he can win at all three levels he's got snap in and out of breaks the production hasn't always been there but the production typically isn't there for ohio state receivers just in the way that that scheme operates and you know the way that they shuffle guys in and out um year after year after year olave has never really been the guy for an extended period of time but he was certainly Justin Fields' number one receiver this year. He is a really, really impressive talent. I love Chris Olave uh, and what I've seen from him on film. You go to his teammate now, Josh Myers, just four picks later at 49. We talked about Myers early in the show. I, I really like this kid. I, I think that he can be a starting interior offensive lineman. Might be a guard, might be a center, but you could figure that out. We talked about that versatility uh, you know, earlier in the show with Isaac Sayamalo. I think that that certainly uh, is in play there for Josh Myers. Then you go to the next pick, 70 overall, North Carolina running back Javante Williams. I'll tell you what, C-Mart, you are, you are cooking with gas with this mock draft. Caleb Farley, Jason Owe, Chris Olave, Josh Myers, and then one of my favorite running backs, Javante Williams. Uh, this is a guy who's got great contact balance. He can consistently make that first man miss. I like his vision. He can impact third down both as a pass catcher and as a blocker. I really like the way that this kid plays the game. Then you go a few picks later, 75 overall, pit safety, Paris Ford, hard hitter, former corner, but this kid is, a, is known as a thumper. His ability to come downhill and be physical. 118 overall, Michigan wide receiver Nico Collins didn't play a down this year. He opted out from the Wolverines, but he is a big physically imposing receiver who can go up and win at the catch point. He's more fluid than you would think for a guy that big, uh, but certainly a guy that is going to be really interested just to watch him at the Senior Bowl and see what he looks like in his first action here, as to having not played football for almost a full calendar year by the time he reaches Mobile next month. And then lastly, rounding out the draft with Colorado defensive tackle Mustafa Johnson, who has kind of been a popular pick for uh, people that have submitted their mock drafts in to the Journey of the Draft podcast. Mustafa Johnson, a three technique out west for Colorado. So, CMART, Love this mock draft. Really nice job uh, putting together some great talent there using the Draft Network's mock draft machine. If you guys have a mock draft that you want to submit, just go on our Apple Podcast page, leave it in the comment section, and we'll break it down right here on the show. That being said, we'll be back a little bit later this week, special maybe a day earlier so this week uh, with the holidays coming up. Merry Christmas to everybody that is celebrating. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.